Acts, the uh, 19th chapter today. Had the opportunity to be in Ephesus uh, about two weeks ago, I guess now, Allison? Approximately. And we're going to be talking about Ephesus today. And that's Acts chapter 19. And I had the opportunity to read this chapter when we were on the bus with the... uh, with the pastoral group, and uh, was as we approached Ephesus, it was uh, something to remind us of uh, where we were going and what had happened in, Eph- in Ephesus. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It begins uh, later on uh, talking about Ephesus, but we're going to uh, read the whole chapter. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And that, of course, is Asia Minor, not China we're talking about, but this is uh, uh, what we know today of as Turkey. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. There were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Achaia, by the way, is Greece today. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, 
whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see in here that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! When the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, he ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies, let them implead one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called into question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. And first verse in chapter 20, after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed to go into Macedonia. So there's a great uproar in Ephesus. We had the opportunity to be in that theater where Paul was, uh, where the, the craftsmen of the idols, uh, uh, particularly it says here of Diana, um, Artemis in, in the Greek, Diana in the Roman, same personage. The uh, tradition has it in the 11th or 10th century uh, BC, the first Greek settlers arrived uh, in Ephesus. On uh, Ephesus, there's a map that I, I gave to Craig. It's, it's uh, slightly inland, it's in Turkey, it's in uh, um, West. On the west, almost the west coast, it used to be on the west coast, and now it's inland because of the shift of the waters. Uh, it had a harbor at one time, uh, and uh, it's uh, west central Turkey today, on the uh, close to the Aegean Sea. Uh, but 11th or 10th century before Christ, uh, the first Greek settlers arrived, and there were tradition says there were local people living around a temple dedicated to the great mother goddess. Uh, and uh, the same goddess is uh, goes by different names. Uh, at at the time, it was uh, Turkey was called Anatolia, uh, and uh, Anna is. Uh, I did some research on this and uh, disagrees with what uh, uh, our Greek guide told or our Turkish guide told us. But he said Anatolia, Anna means mother, 
Uh, and tolia means uh, uh, goddess or love or something like that. So uh, I, I've seen different definitions of that, but that's what he said. Uh, but it's uh, this mother goddess. Um, it is, we learned, by the way, when we were over there, that the, uh, the tradition is that the Apostle John, after Christ was crucified, uh, remember Christ on the cross said to, to, basically said to John, please take care of my mother. He said, you know, behold, behold your son, behold your mother. And uh, the tradition is that John uh, did exactly that, and I'm sure he did, since Christ asked him to take care of, take care of Mary. And the tradition is that they, uh, he took her to Ephesus to live. Uh, and the reasoning behind that, people think, is because of the great uh, reverence that the people in Ephesus particularly had toward women. Uh, they regarded women as the giver of life. Uh, and they, uh, uh, that's why uh, the goddess, uh, was, it wasn't a god, it was a goddess, Diana, uh, the great giver of life. And uh, they, he knew that they would regard Mary in the same way. They were, uh, uh, of course, it wasn't a Christian town by any means, but uh, they did regard uh, every woman as, as, the, as it said, the, the giver of life. Um, Ephesus was... Uh, uh, located, uh, as I said, the middle of the, the western coast where the main inland route reached the sea, had a sheltered harbor, uh, and it, uh, the, uh, it had this tremendous uh, temple to the goddess, uh, the mother goddess, uh, Artemis or Diana. Uh, that temple is no longer in existence. There's only one pillar that remains. But uh, to, to, there's, we saw a model of it in uh, um, the Ephesus Museum. And it... Uh, it looks very much like the Lincoln Memorial on the Mall in Washington, except a whole lot bigger. Uh, it was uh, it was probably uh, at least a good football uh, stadium size, uh, with with hundreds of columns, in double rows, triple rows, and in, uh, toward the end was this gigantic statue uh, of uh, of Diana. Now, I did bring back, by the way, I brought back a gift for our church from Ephesus itself. And uh, I haven't opened it since we've been in Ephesus, but I thought that uh, you all would like to church should have its own this its own idol. This is Artemis. Uh, if you want to take a look at her later, it's quite an interesting uh, Representation. This is what she uh, what she was represented to look like. This is what the the craft makers were talking about in the Bible. Said so this is this is what they made, you know, out of silver and whatever materials they had, uh, and they sold these hundreds of them. And this was their this was their job. This is their source of income. And that's what we just read. They did. That's why they didn't like Paul because he's going to take away their source of income. The we have to appreciate. You know, today we live in a culture where everybody pretty much says they're a Christian. You know, you talk to people on this, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And they, a lot of them don't know what that means. But how would you deal with somebody who's, who said, uh, well, I don't, never heard of Christ. I don't know who you're talk, what you're talking about. Uh, but I worship uh, Diana, and I worship Apollo, and I worship uh, Zeus, and I worship, you know, and they go, go through the list. So uh, this Jesus you're talking about, 
what what does he do? What what kind of a god is he? Is he like a god of fire, or of war, or love, or you know, money? What 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 is he? And he said, well, you know, he's another none of those things. Uh, he's you know he's the god of all. Oh, okay. Well, I can worship him. I'll just you know put his put his statue next to these other gods, and I'll worship him. Well, you don't really get it. You know, it'd be very difficult to deal with a person like that. Say, well, no, Jesus says there should be no other gods. Well, why? Sh- what right does he have to say that? You know, none of the other gods say there shouldn't be any other gods. They all say they all were kind of work together, and one god is for this, and one god is for that. So, so we don't appreciate this whole idea that that people had of of just a pantheon of gods that every god you know you you got a god fine okay well i'll just bring him in them you know bring him more the merrier you know and uh, so it would be tough to deal with this is what paul and the the, the apostles had to deal with yeah well that's a little bit of of ephesus um there, there's obviously a lot more uh, augustus uh, visited the city the emperor augustus in 27 bc augustus was uh, julius caesar's adopted son he visited the city and paul was there in about uh oh in the 50s uh, ad uh it had a large jewish community uh maybe 10,000 jews the town itself had about 200,000 people in Ephesus that lived there. And it, interesting, one thing we learned, how they know how many people lived you know, in a town. They look at the theaters, the stadiums, and they calculate how many people could sit there, and then they multiply that. I think the multiplier is four uh, to, to get a rough estimate of the, of the population of the town, which makes sense. Uh, and uh, there is, uh, by the way, in uh, in Ephesus, there's a uh, there's the house of the Virgin Mary, and uh, the people go. We did not have the opportunity to go. That was not on our tour. That would be an extra. That's kind of a waste. But uh, we didn't go. But they uh, they have they say, well, this is where John took and that, that Mary, and this is her house that she lived in. And we found out the reason that they know this is because there was a nun. A Bohemian nun uh, in the 1800s who had a dream that this house was the house of Mary, <laughs> and it's now a tourist attraction because of that. So, uh, yeah, she also had this. They said this. Uh, it's a shrine to Mary. Actually, yeah, it's a real shrine uh, to uh, to Mary. So I was thinking we somebody should have a dream that what the Apostle Paul visited. Uh, Fredericksburg, that would be a big <laughs> tourist attraction. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, what we can go. Anyway, there's a lot. There's a lot more. Uh, of course, the uh, a lot of these things have been destroyed. Ephesus is a, is a tremendous archaeological site. A lot of it has been uh, rebuilt and, and discovered. There's still a whole lot more uh, that has not uh, that has not been explored. Um, so let's go to uh, look a little more at Ephesus, particularly in the context of... Uh, we talked about this, and I, I, uh, I did a, a sermon on the uh, churches, uh, did, did on the seven churches, uh, believe it or not, in 2005. So uh, uh, I was thinking, hopefully you don't remember a whole lot of those sermons, so we can uh, revisit uh, them a little bit. Uh, but it, uh, it's interesting to look at uh, particularly now that uh, uh, I know a little else and I know a little more about uh, these churches. Uh, let's go to uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, please. 
this will remind us here. Uh, now, the question, of course, is why are we interested in letters like this? Uh, I will tell you the Lord has chosen to devote about 10% of the book of Revelation to the seven churches in the first few chapters. Uh, so there's uh, the reason is the message is not just directed to this particular church in Ephesus or these other six churches, uh, but it's directed to the entire church of Christ throughout all time. Uh, it's not... Some people say, well, there's a, it, it's a chronology of successive ages. Each church represents a particular period of time in world history. Well, it's a dispensationalist view, and there's no biblical reason to believe that. The messages were addressed to real churches that existed at that time. Probably, we learn, by the way, uh, Sir James Ramsey writes this in, in his book. He, as far as I know, the first one to say this, and it's very likely that this was a Roman postal route. And all these churches, if you look at the map, they're on an oval and they're all probably a Roman postal route. And these were letters written to the churches, so it would make sense that the, these letters were delivered as part of the part of the postal route. They did have a, a postal system. Um, but they have uh, spiritual lessons for the church today. We can see modern churches in the description of each of the seven churches. And, and the second chapter of, of the book of Revelation are letters to the churches at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira. Uh, as I said, Ephesus was the largest city in Asia Minor. It was the capital of Asia Minor. Asia Minor was the name of the province that, that Rome, Rome ruled it, uh, but the, the area they called Asia Minor as opposed to Asia Major, which would be what we think of as Asia in the Far East today. But it's called Asia Minor, which is Turkey today, as I said. Um, uh, it was a city of great riches, a trading center, and again, famous for the temple of the goddess Diana. Revelation 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is the Lord Jesus talking to John, saying, as he said in, in chapter 1, take these messages and, and give them uh, to, to the people, not only the church of, uh, Ephesians, uh, of Ephesus, rather, but to us today. So this is a message to us today. He says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, the angel he defines later on as being the minister of the church. So so this is a letter to the pastor. The pastor was to read it to the congregation. John wrote it down. It came to us. We are to read it uh, and receive the spiritual lessons from it. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Elsewhere he explains the seven candlesticks means the seven churches that he's addressing. A candlestick is a church. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, tested them, which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Remember, they're in the midst of all this paganism, all this Diana worship. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. I'll take that church away. But this thing thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's the end of the letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, 
he walks among the seven golden candlesticks, which represent his church on earth. Uh, among other things, Christ is saying he's present with his church, which includes everywhere he's worshipped as Savior and as, as, as Lord. He says, I know your works. I know your works. He's not the God of the, of the deist. The deist means that, that, yeah, God created the world, but he's far off now. He doesn't really care about what's going on. He kind of wound up the universe like, a, uh, like he would a, a, an old-fashioned clock, and he just it, he went, took a vacation. That's deism. Uh, no, he cares deeply for his people. He delights in his people. He sees their, their faith grow dim, and he rekindles their faith. He sees their sins. Uh, he encourages them to keep fighting, not to give up, not to worry, but to persevere. He says, I know your works. I know how hard you've worked. And I know your patience and how you can't bear people who are evil. Uh, and you've tested those people that say they're apostles, but they're not. And you've tested them and found out that they're liars. And you have, you have patience and you've not fainted. Uh, they had labored to bring the gospel to the people in not only in Ephesus, but the people passing through. Remember, this is a great trading center, and there's hundreds, probably thousands of people passing through all the time. Uh, there's a harbor there. There's, there's trade routes, uh, major trade routes there. It's the capital of Asia Minor. Uh, so uh, they would then, those who were converted from, from the church's efforts there, would t- then take the gospel out to wherever they were going on their next journeys. So it's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, and uh, the Lord sees this and, and commends them for it. Uh, and you can't bear those who are evil. They wouldn't tolerate evil in their church. Uh, so he commends them for practicing discipline in their church. They wouldn't just let anybody hang around their church and you know, blaspheme or you know, do whatever horrible sins publicly and not do anything about it because uh, they would counsel people, they'd admonish people, hoping to restore them in love uh, because the purpose of discipline is to restore someone in love, not to punish them. Uh, And, of course, that wasn't unique at the church of Ephesus. Uh, The believers of the time tested the claims of those who brought new doctrines, uh, testing those who claimed to be apostles, those who were the evildoers, but they tested them, uh, and they looked at the fruits their doctrines produced in themselves and others, and they exposed false teachers and what Christ calls them as liars. Uh, We have that today, people claiming to have new revelation from God. And well, God told me something that's that's uh, a new revelation. I had a dream, you know, Mary's, you know where Mary's house is. We should make it a, a shrine or whatever it is. Uh, or we we have this new interpretation of the Bible, a uh, new perspective on Paul. Uh, and uh, well, you know, two thousand years, everybody was wrong about what Paul says in Scripture, and now only in our lifetime has somebody figured it out. That's what we're to believe. There, that is a movement within uh, reform circles. So the uh, Lord commends them because they haven't fainted, that, that they've persevered, they've not fallen for the doctrines of false teachers, they haven't fallen into the uh, temptations of the Nicolaitans. Uh, we'll talk about who the Nicolaitans are in a moment. And he says, somewhat, uh, verse 4, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember from whence you are fallen, repent, do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly. And I'll remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. See, they cooled off in their love for Christ and their love for their, their brothers and sisters in Christ. When we cool off for our love for Christ, next thing is we cool off for our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Um, and they're cooled off in their fervor to bring the gospel to a dying world. Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. By this shall all men know you're my my disciples, if you love one another. It's called the first love here because they were fervent in their love for one another, but now that initial fervor had cooled. Um, And, of course, their first love would be their love for Christ, which produces love for one another. Our our Lord is not interested in love that cools off. Uh, Remember I mentioned earlier today about when I'm talking about Heropolis and Colossae and the church at Laodicea, and uh, what he says, the Lord says in Revelation 3.16 to that church, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Uh, so what will happen is if we, you know, as I've said before, if you, if you only go to church, if you only pray, uh, if you only have family devotions, when you feel like it, you'll feel like it less and less. So we, we, have to, we have to exercise. We have to exercise our body. We have to exercise our mind. We have to exercise our spirit as well. We all fall into spiritual valleys for a time. And they cooled off somewhat from their fervent love for Christ and one another. So he says, remember where from where you're fallen. Matthew Henry says about that, those who have lost their first love must remember from where they have fallen. They have to compare their present state with their former state. Consider how much better it was with them then than now. How much peace, strength, purity, and pleasure they've lost by leaving their first love. How much more comfortably they could lie down and sleep at night how much more cheerfully they could awake in the morning, how much better they could bear afflictions, how much more becomingly they could enjoy the favors of providence, how much easier the thoughts of death were to them, how much stronger their desires and hopes of heaven. Repent and do the first works, that is, return to the love you showed at the beginning of this church, or else I will come to rebuke you. He will remove their candlesticks out of its place. The candlestick means the local church, and he did. He did. You go to Ephesus today, you won't find a church. There's no Christian church in Ephesus. There's no. They haven't even found the uh, location of the um, synagogue yet. I was looking. For, I was hoping that we could visit the synagogue, but they have not found, found the synagogue where where Paul uh, preached and uh, where the church, no doubt, uh, had its beginnings. The lesson for us today is if a church loses its first love, Christ will remove the light of the gospel from it. How many churches have we seen that? How many buildings can you go in that say that have a sign outside saying that they are some sort of a Christian church, and you go in, and it's dead inside, just spiritually dead. And you can feel it quite often, or listen to the sermon if you can't feel it. And what kind of a sermon do you get? Well, you know what I mean. You've never experienced You can turn on TV and hear some of this stuff. So, Christ will remove the light of the gospel from it if they lose their first love. Um, takes away their candlestick. And we're called to hate sin, as Christ does. That's what verse 6 says. But this thou hast, this is what you, you do have this, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans, uh, it's based uh, in Acts... 
going out on a limb here. Acts chapter 6, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Oh, here it is. Um, Nicholas. Nicholas is in chapter 6, in verse 5. Um, it's when they, when they appoint the deacons. And uh, Nicholas is a proselyte of Antioch, and it's believed it could be that this is the Nicholas that the Nicolaitans is named after. Uh, I've read that. Before. No, we don't know for sure, but it doesn't say anything. It just mentions him, his name in there, but some people say that's, that's the one. But whether he is or isn't, it's not, it's not important. Uh, but Christ hates what the Nicolaitans, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans, as far as we know, we don't know a whole lot about them, but they were basically a sect of people who called themselves Christians, but also brought in a lot of the paganism into Christianity. Uh, the, the, the libertine ideas, the uh, uh, marriage, faithfulness to, to one's spouse meant nothing to them. They basically did whatever they wanted to do, uh, but they called themselves Christians. Uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's a favorite expression the Lord Jesus uses to get people's attention. And the gospel, he often says, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or similar words. He's talking about a spiritual ear, of course, being able to receive the word of the Holy Spirit. You know, elsewhere scripture says that, you know, unbelievers can read the same words you do and it doesn't mean anything to them. Because why? Because it says the, the word of God is spiritually discerned. It's that we have to have the Holy Spirit interpreting it to us and sealing it in our heart, otherwise it's just a bunch of words to us. Might as well be reading, you know, Moby Dick or something. Uh, it's just a, a bunch of words to us. So the only people who have such new ears given to them are those who have been made new creatures in Christ. They've had their ears circumcised, opened by the Spirit of God, and only then can they understand the Bible. Only then can they receive the gift of faith. Only then can they discern truth from lies. So he says, Christ is saying, let those who have these circumcised ears, these spiritual ears, those who are born again, pay attention to what the Spirit is saying. He's saying two things. What is written in the Scriptures is spoken by the Spirit of God, what the Spirit says unto the churches. And two, what is said to one church concerns all the churches. Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. In every place and age, not just the church at Ephesus, but all the churches. Revelation chapter 1 makes that clear, that the book of Revelation is for all the churches throughout time. So to conclude, to those who overcome the false apostles, the false teachers and their doctrines, to overcome those who overcome their lukewarmness toward Christ and his people, to those who overcome the temptations of the Nicolaitans or whoever our modern-day Nicolaitans may be, he will let them eat of the fruit of the tree of life. You know, Christ, what is the tree of life? Well, we know what the tree of life is from the Garden of Eden, but Proverbs 3.18, Christ is called the tree of life. So we eat of the fruit of Christ. He's the author of life, both natural and spiritual life. His fruit is the blessings of life, 
and of grace, both on earth and on etern- in eternity. His people eat of his fruit freely, which nourishes and strengthens their souls. You know, the Christian life is a warfare. We're called the church militant, I've said many times. The church militant, as the church on earth is, is, is an army. You know, onward Christian soldiers has a lot of truth in it. Uh, we are an army. Uh, we have a commander in Christ, uh, and uh, we have an organization, and we have marching orders. And the Christian life is a warfare against sin, against Satan, the world, uh, our, against our flesh, our corrupt flesh. It's not enough that we engage in this warfare, but the message to the Ephesian church is to pursue it to the end. We must never yield to our spiritual enemies, but fight the good fight till we gain the victory, as all persevering Christians shall do. And the warfare and victory has a glorious triumph and reward. This is promised over and over again in scriptures. Don't faint. Don't get weak. Continue. Continue in in the war, uh, the spiritual warfare. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 